Welcome to episode 65 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer-director J.J. Abrams, as well as his creator, Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inostroza, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be talking about Lost, Season 5, Episodes 14 and 15. So the first episode up this week is the episode entitled The Variable. And that is a very, very special episode. It is the official 100th episode of the show. Matt, what did you think about the 100th episode of the show? The 100th episode of Lost. Finally, they've gotten, they've been on the air long enough to reach this milestone that a lot of series never reach. And they give us a gut-punching episode that for the first three quarters feels like vintage loss that is bringing us up to speed on some new information that we didn't have. So a lot of this season has dealt with what happened, happened. We can't change the future. Whatever happened, happened. And we know about our constants, but this episode does heavily feature Daniel Daniel Faraday, and he says, I'm a scientist, and I've been working on it, and I don't know how I miss this. But, yeah, what happened happened, and Constance and all that, but there is one thing I did not take into account, which is that every scientific theory always has to account for variables. The title of this episode, and he said, And in this scenario, the variables are us. It's people. It is us in this moment now. Yes, we are in 1977. But what is happening in this moment now? We actually might be able to change the course of the future. And he comes up with the brilliant plan, which we saw glimpses of in the season five premiere. When Daniel was down where they are building the hatch. And in this, he says, look, I think that if we can detonate a bomb where they are building the hatch and contain the energy that we know 30 years from now is going to bring flight 815 to the island because Desmond Hume doesn't push the button. If we can blow that up, And make it so that that energy does not need to be contained in the same way. I don't think the flight will ever crash. You guys will never have met. And we can actually correct the future and change things. Which is new information to us as viewers. Because everything they have told us is what happened happened. And he's saying, I I missed it. This is the thing. And I love that Daniel comes up with this revelation comes back to the island, but the whole time we are getting these flashes back into Daniel's life, his rocky relationship with his mother, where even when he's a kid trying to enjoy playing piano, his mother is always saying, time is precious. You shouldn't waste your time doing something like this when you are meant for greater things and you have to very carefully plan out how you are going to use your time That becomes much more meaningful by the end of this episode. But Marcelo, what did you think as we're getting more insight into Daniel's life 
pre-island, and then when he drops this big variable bombshell on us about three quarters of the way through. I really enjoyed looking back at Daniel's life, specifically that scene that you mentioned of him as a younger child playing piano and his mother coming in and sitting down at the piano. The moment where I went, holy crap, Daniel is special, is when his mother grabbed the the, the metronome that was on top of the piano and she said, "How how many beats of the metronome have passed since you started playing? And then Daniel says a specific number and I'm like, Holy shit, he really is special. He is he's like a miracle kid. Later on in the episode, we sort of see an extension of the scene where we first met Daniel, where he's watching the TV. Someone in the background says, why are you crying? And Daniel says, I don't know. But in this episode, we see what happens a second later. And a second later, uh, Charles Whitmore shows up at Daniel's doorstep and he says to Daniel, listen, Daniel, I have, I have an opportunity where you can go someplace to where you can fix what's wrong with your head. Does Daniel have like a degenerative disease type of Alzheimer's? I really like the fact that uh, this episode showed even genius level people can have consequences later on in life. The future can always screw with you. That parable was made between Daniel's story and all the stuff going on on the island. Yeah, that was great. And especially, it really opened our eyes. We had questions from previous seasons where we found out about Teresa, the woman who was left with her mind scrambled, permanently in a state of not knowing what's going on and bed rest. And her sister says, Daniel did this to her and then abandoned her. And we find out that we're a, we're a couple. And at the, the dinner, his mother talks down and it's a very awkward dinner, but then she gives Daniel the leather journal. And then we go to that scene where we first met him and we find out that his brain is scrambled and he forgets. And he says it's because his research, he tested it on himself before he did whatever he did to Teresa that dislodged her mind from reality. And this is all part of the the temporal stuff that he was working on at Oxford that is all kind of related on the island. He fixes it because of the constant and he writes in that same leather journal that we see his mom give him, you know, Desmond Hume will be my constant. So it was cool to see that when we did meet him, he was in a bad way where he forgets stuff. He can't stay in the moment for very long. And it is because he, he tried this experiment on himself before Teresa. So we know that he didn't abandon Teresa because he's a bad guy, which has kind of been a question in the back of our mind. He is trying to remedy this, but it is Widmore who does suggest first that the way to fix all of this is for him to go to the island. And Widmore admits it was him who put the plane on the bottom of the ocean and faked the wreckage, which I mentioned last week. They've had lots of misdirects, whether it was Widmore, whether it was Ben, and they keep going back and forth. But now we've got the man himself saying, it was me. 
I did it. And if you go, this will help fix your mind. And I think you should go and, you know, time is precious and you've got to do this. And Daniel says, why are you telling me all of your deep, dark secrets? And Widmore says, well, you're going to forget tomorrow anyway. So it means nothing to me. But remember the way that he's speaking to him is bringing something up. And Daniel even comments and says, you sound like my mom. You, the way you talk, the things you say. And Charles says, well, that's because me and your mother are old friends. And as the 77 storyline starts to play out, it does become clear that Widmore and Eloise back then were more than friends. And unbeknownst to us until this episode, Daniel Faraday and Penny actually are half brother and sister because it is revealed by the end of this that Widmore is Daniel's father, which is another out of, we could have maybe predicted it, but a nice swerve. The most heartbreaking thing is watching Daniel on the island, try and get his ducks in a row and things aren't quite going right. And we start to get a little bit of a sense of futility and dread as he's talking to Jack and trying to explain what his plan is going to be. As he tries to get Pierre Chang on his side and even tells him, I'm a time traveler. This is Miles. He's your son. He's a time traveler. And Miles denies it. And things aren't going right. And he has his run-in with young Charlotte. And he tells her what we know that he was going to tell her. What did you think as we're seeing Daniel having trouble convincing people of his plan, but also meeting some of the, the moments that we know had to have happened from other, other moments that we've already experienced. When Daniel approaches Pierre Chang, tells him what's going to happen. And he basically says, you need to evacuate all the women and children off this island. And, and if you don't do this, a cataclysmic event is going to kill everyone on this island. I was like, what are you doing? This is the last way that you should approach a problem like this. But as Daniel follows Pierre Chang up to the surface, and when Pierre Chang walks up to one of the Dharma vans, or the Dharma van, and tries to get away from him, Elves comes in, calls Daniel an insane person and says to his father, basically, you shouldn't listen to him. And then Pierre Chang, you know, he drives off and Daniel says, everything that I just did there was so your father would do exactly what he needs to do. When that happened, I was like, God damn it. Why didn't I see this coming? Daniel always has a specific way of speaking to certain individuals. He always gives the right person just the perfect amount of information that they need to do exactly what he wants. And the other thing, his conversation with small Charlotte, that little small exchange that he had with, with, with Charlotte, it, it broke my heart, basically. It really, really did. I love the way that the Lost Writers are tying up the loose knots that they introduced early on in the season. It is amazing how they are stitching everything back together. It's, it's amazing. I mean, look, it's, it's writing 101, but not every TV show 
that poses all these questions, answers them so exquisitely. Yeah, they really thought this one through because, like I said, breadcrumbs from even season five, episode one are now coming back here. So they they knew the plan for this season from the, the jump, which is great. <laughs> it makes things much more enjoyable. And they are weaving different threads that we have had throughout the series back together in a really nice way. And I did like the on-island stuff with the new Dharma initiative starts to spiral as Radzinski starts to realize that maybe Sawyer and Juliet um, are not on their side. And he sort of outs them because he finds the guy that they bound and gagged in a closet. And then he holds them at gunpoint. There's a moment where Kate wants to go on a mission with Jack Sawyer doesn't want her to go, but Juliet gives her the pin to the sonar fence because Juliet just doesn't want Kate hanging around. But there's a nice moment between Sawyer and Juliet where he kind of says, like, you are my number one, essentially, is the subtext of it. So they have a nice bonding moment as all of this stuff is spiraling. And as you mentioned, Daniel traditionally is very calm cool and selective of what he says to people. He doesn't overplay his hand. He has an air of mystery about almost everything he says. And in these final moments where he is trying to find the location of the bomb, he goes to Richard and he says to that camp, he's like, I need to find Eloise. They say she's not here. And he's talking to Richard and he gets frustrated and flustered. And in a very un-Daniel Faraday-like moment, because the guy usually is calm and cool, like, hey, Miles, he pulls a gun on Richard. And he says, tell me what is happening and where Eloise is. And bam, Daniel is shot from behind, crumbles to the ground. We see that it is Eloise who has shot him. and. It's a fatal blow. She shoots him like almost directly through the heart. And as he's bleeding out and he looks and he realizes it is his mother who just killed him. And he says, you knew this was going to happen and you sent me here anyway. And the look on his face, Jeremy Davies is so good in that moment. And it, puts all of those flashbacks of time is precious. Only focus on the thing you are meant to do. Time is precious into perspective. And obviously the 1977 Eloise doesn't recognize him. And she's like, well, who, who are you? Like, I don't know. And he says, I am your son. And that moment is so heartbreaking knowing that his mother in those moments didn't know but she has known every moment after that, which is essentially his entire life pre-island. She knew that one day all of these events would happen. And as he says, you knew and you sent me here anyway. What kind of fucking monster would do that to their own son? And that reframes everything we know about Eloise, makes Daniel this tragic 
flawed character who's basically unbeknownst to him on this lifelong suicide mission. And it just rips your heart out. And we we do find out in that moment where his mom in the present slaps Widmore because Widmore says like, he was my son too. And I, I just, it added so much depth to Faraday as it put a big rap. That's a rap on Daniel. Um, I didn't see that coming because when he came and was explaining all this stuff that was going to happen and what they could do, I really thought there was still a lot of gas in the tank. So that was one of those genuine surprise out of nowhere deaths on lost that almost knocked me out. Cause I just did not see it coming. I did not expect that at all. And it was amazing how the actor who plays Daniel played out that scene. I don't mean to defend a person like Eloise Hawking, but I just want to leave you with this. If I'm a parent and I know that my son has a psychological disease that has no cure, that if my son goes to, this, to, to a certain place at a certain time, his brain will be fixed. If I am a specific kind of person, I may consider doing that because I want my son, I want my son to be safe and I want my son to be healthy. I want my son to be the best person that he can be. And if sending him to an island that is a little wonky, if I'm desperate enough, that to me would somehow justify Eloise's decisions. I kind of feel sympathy for her in that regard. But we move on to the second and final episode that we're going to talk about this week. And that episode is simply entitled Follow the Leader. So, Matt, I have a question for you. Uh, do you want to get on a submarine? So, submarines seem to only do bad things on this show. I feel like even when you think it's good, uh, no. <laughs> but... What this episode does do is we do pick up shortly after Daniel is gunned down and there's a scene where Eloise and Jack talk about the writings in Daniel's journal and Jack explains to her what their plan is and how they think that they can undo the future. And if they do undo this future, then maybe Eloise won't kill her own son which is fascinating, but because she sees this journal and she recognizes writings in the journal, all I kept thinking was, okay, when she gave Daniel the journal, knowing that he would go to the island and the reason that she sends him to the island is because his brain is scrambled and the quality of life off the island is not good. The day that he opens that journal, the first thing in that journal should be, Dear Daniel, if you ever find yourself on an island facing a man that looks like he's wearing a lot of guy liner, but actually just has really thick eyelashes, do not pull a gun on him under any circumstance. Love, Mom. Take this with you everywhere you go. Don't ask me about it. And then we would, we would be out of this situation. She would have gotten her son fixed. He would have gone to the island, but he would have gone to the island with this knowledge that he could read memento style in case his brain got scrambled that would tell him if he was ever facing down Richard Alpert, 
not to pull a gun. And then she wouldn't have killed him. So I just, that's the only thing. Knowing that she gave him the journal and she knows about the journal after the opening scenes of this episode, I was like, yes, his brain is fried. So even if she told him before he got on the boat, don't do this because she knew because his brain was scrambled, he forgot, but she could have written it in this journal when he got it, knowing that the journal would be with him on the island. So that was the only thing that drove me crazy was like, she could have found a loophole because we all see it. It's in these pages. Why didn't she write a warning in those pages to her son? You know, I understand why they did it because primarily it was for tension's sake. Lost never takes the easy way out. They'll show you a complicated situation, causes you to think about a million ways to get out of the situation, but then the simplest way to get out of the situation is often the way that the way that the writers go. They didn't do that with Daniel Faraday's story. Unless something happens next week to sort of pacify my feelings as to why she sent Daniel on this path in the the first place, I don't think my opinion about her is going to change. The Lost Writers did it because of the tension, because of if we knew of that prophecy, we'd be waiting for it, and then we wouldn't have the surprise gut punch of Daniel getting gunned down in his prime. So, like, from a show standpoint, yeah, they did the thing that was more surprising and tense, But from a logical, like, if she had years to think about this standpoint, that's where I'm just calling emotional bullshit. One thing that I was not expecting would be revealed in these two episodes is the connection between uh, Eloise Hawking and Charles Whitmore. That connection really floored the crap out of me when it was revealed. I did not see that coming at all, and I just wanted to point that out. The other thing that really drove me bonkers in this specific episode is the behavior of the Dharma Initiative in this episode towards Juliet and James after they got captured. These guys fucking drive me up a fucking wall. I really hope that something bad happens to them because they are such... Oh my god, they they are such sad sacks. Yeah, there is a lot going on when Radzinski has Sawyer and Juliet and he's basically beating on Sawyer and they realize Sawyer's not going to say anything until they realize, you know how we can make James talk and they start going after Juliet, which of course is the, the right way to get information out of him. And then they get you know, that's a horrible moment where they realize these Dharma guys are bad, but they do go to the submarine and there is a nice moment where Sawyer says like, we should have got on the sub three years ago. And Juliet says like, no, I'm glad that we stayed behind and like built this life together. And even though we're in a bad spot now, like those three years when we were just here together, we're happy ones. Like it was, it was worth it. Um, so as you alluded, the submarine, uh, they do end up bringing, uh, other people to the sub. So Kate gets on the sub and, 
you know, we're getting more of the team together in one place so that hopefully they can do something to get out of this bad situation. Um, I did like that a lot. We do see Saeed again shortly before that. And he finds out that he didn't kill Ben, which is one of those no shit Sherlock moments and is so frustrating that you're just like, how did he not know that he didn't get the job done? Um, so that was frustrating, but I do like that, you know, as all this stuff is going on, we do see Hurley miles and Jin talking to Chang and he starts quizzing Hurley about the year he was born and different questions because what Daniel had said to him is starting to resonate. And he says, I kind of believe that you guys might be from the future. And Hurley doesn't pass the test because he can't come up with a plausible birthday. He doesn't know these answers. And when there's a nice moment where like Chang says, like, so am I your father to miles and miles is like, well, yeah, like you, you are. So he now knows that Daniel, everything Daniel told him about needing to evacuate is all true. And I love that. And side note, as they're all standing around, I don't know how I didn't notice this before, but the Dharma initiative jumpsuits are very similar to the Ghostbusters flight suits. And there is a scene where that Miles, Jin and Hurley scene, Miles has a backpack on. He's holding the gun. Jin's holding the gun. Hurley's got a backpack. They all just look like a team of Ghostbusters hanging out there because they got the suit, they got the straps and they got the guns. Um, so I just, I've got Ghostbusters on the brain. If you're listening to this, it's probably a month after the new Ghostbusters. But right now I'm just, I was like, wow, these Dharma jumpsuits are very Ghostbusters that I had never noticed that that is basically the same outfit. But all of that stuff really starts to ramp up in the past where now half of our heroes are on a sub and they've got a plan. And the other half are trying to find a way to make sure that this catastrophic incident does not harm a lot of people and can possibly write the future. What were you thinking as everybody's gathering in these different groups with different plans? I really enjoyed seeing everybody's different adventure. The one thing that really struck me, and this wasn't until the end of the episode, John eventually you know, reveals himself to the others. And he basically says, we need to go find Jacob. There's that name again, Jacob. Who the hell is he talking about? We don't know. Are we finally going to meet this person? We have no idea. So he takes all of his flock. As they're walking, Ben and Richard have a conversation. Richard says, I'm starting to think John Locke is going to be trouble. And then Ben goes, why do you think I tried to kill him? And that was hilarious. But when that exchange went down, I was like, holy fuck. Is is John Locke not John Locke? As that scene goes on, the, the, the last line of the episode is John Locke saying, I lied to son. We're not going to meet Jacob. We're, we are walking to, to find Jacob so I can kill him. And I'm like, John Locke does not say that. So whoever this person is, it's not John Locke. And that really 
blew the back of my head open because I completely forgot that cork. I knew that cork was coming, but I had no idea that it was this early. Yeah, it's one of those great things where the whole episode with the the lock, the present, basically, is like we're trying to track down our friends and figure out how we can get them out of 1977 and here. And that final moment is so awesome where Ben, after all of the, like, we know that Ben doesn't trust Locke. And in those moments, then Ben says, you know what, John, like I'm here for you. And if you think we need to find Jacob to help you reunite with your people, then I will do whatever I can. And Locke says, I'm not interested in being reunited with my people. We're going to find Jacob so I can kill him. And it was like, holy shit. We thought this whole time Locke was happy that he's the only one who has seen Jacob. He is chosen by Jacob. But it comes out that Ben has never seen Jacob. He doesn't really have this connection. And Locke does have a connection we're finding out that rather than feel that Locke is special because of this connection, Locke sees this as some sort of chess game where he is not the most powerful player. And the way to win the game is to take out the most powerful player. And that really was surprising because we haven't necessarily thought of John Locke as wanting to usurp all the power because there was still some talk of whether Locke should be leading these people because when he left the island, he kind of rescinded his, his kingness or whatever. But that moment was so out of left field and was the perfect end, the perfect what the hell as they cut to the lost title card because I didn't see it coming and I didn't necessarily know that that is what Locke was playing at, but there is still this back from the dead lock has so much going on that we still have so many questions and trying to figure out how in the hell this 1977 and 2007 timelines are going to be able to, to come back together so that Jack and our friends aren't lost in the past without everything being entirely different is still up in the air as anybody's guess as we head into like the finale of this season, they've got so many balls in the air in typical lost fashion. And then they drop this thing on us that I did not even think was one of the balls we were juggling that Locke thinks Jacob needs to be taken out. So I was floored. If you think about it, what John Locke says isn't, it doesn't track with his character at all. Because since day one, John Locke has always been a man of faith. And John Locke has always thought he is special. But when push comes to shove, John Locke cannot kill another person who he thinks is innocent or who he thinks has some redeeming qualities. So Mm -hmm. our John would never do this. So while I was sitting watching this whole exchange go down, I was like, who the fuck is this? Because this is not our John Locke. This has to be somebody else. Right. I definitely am thinking like, you know, 
did being part of the Flatliners Club change John Locke in a way that we just don't understand yet? All right, guys. So on that note, uh, that'll do it uh, for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys like what we do here at all and you want to reach out to us, there are a couple ways to do that. First, you can just simply reach out to us by using the hashtag on Twitter, uh, Radio815, or you can reach out to us by our personal Twitter account. It's uh, JJUniverse815. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach out to you, what would be the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. And guys, if you want to reach out to me, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. For now, as I say often, we'll talk back soon.